Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Islamic Finance uh, Guru's podcast, Millionaire Muslim. And today we have a very interesting guest with us, Muhammad Arshad, uh, who comes over um, from a wide variety of backgrounds. And currently, Muhammad, you're the CEO of Muslim CEO, right? Yeah. Um, brilliant. And uh, Muhammad, you've you know, you've had such a varied career. You've worked at Xerox. You were involved with AIRA during its early days. You were um, involved with uh, Muslim Youth Helpline, which is a fantastic charity. Um, you know, you've launched products such as ZenCube, which, we, you know, we can talk about later as well. And, you know, you've been involved in the digital media space as well. Um you know, for, for many years. And so, you know, it would be really interesting to hear, uh, given the wide variety of things that you've done, what, what do you see as your kind of life mission that kind of holds everything together? Yeah, I think, alhamdulillah, I've been very, very fortunate because uh, I've, I've been able to do so many different types of things. Um, and I think that the reason for that is because my overall mission uh, is all about growth and development. Um, ultimately, I want to me- move people closer to Allah. And I believe that the best form of growth, the best form of development is through moving closer to Allah. And I think that if you look at people like the Sahaba, uh, you know, they were amazing in, in their achievements. They were amazing in their leadership. Uh, and it was really Islam was the kind of thing that that made them that way. So for me, I'm very passionate about growing people, growing myself, growing businesses, growing organizations. Um, and really that, that whole growth mindset, that whole kind of doing more and achieving more, um, that's like been my real focus. So for me now, I believe the highest form of growth is actually leadership because once you start doing something well and you do it over and over and over again and you start to master that slowly, eventually you get to this place where you can then help others to master to those things as well so i think leadership and growth is really my big passions fantastic and um you know maybe just touching on that theme of leadership so obviously you know you've done a bunch of things in your career um how old are you if you don't mind me asking i'm 38 alhamdulillah okay mashallah um and you're uh, you're based in the uk yeah i'm based in the uk i'm actually doing some traveling over the next few months and stuff but i'm based in london now yeah all right, fantastic, fantastic. Well, I mean, I think half of the Muslim populations in London, so <laughs> yeah. uh, it makes complete sense. And but and if I if I'm not wrong, you used to live abroad for a while as well, right? Yeah. So what happened with me? I was actually born in Pakistan, um, but okay. I came over here when I was like one years old, so almost like kind of born here and stuff. Um, but I went to Pakistan when I was about 15 and I studied out there for two, three years. Uh, and really, that was a life-changing right, okay. moment for me because. What happened is I went to Pakistan, um, I went to what they call an English medium school, which means everything is taught in English. And I went there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to run this school because I'm from England. These Pakistanis, like, what do they know about English? And I went there and unfortunately in the first year I failed everything except my beloved English and geography. Um, and, you know, that, that was a real uh, awakening for me because... 
um, it made me realize that if I want to achieve something, I need to work really hard. Um, and then seeing those people who valued education at a very different level to the way I would say, like inner city schools in London, the way we did, um, it was very, very uh, humbling. And it gave me a uh, a value to education and growth and development. Uh, and it made me realize that, you know, the things that we have available to us in terms of growing ourselves as human beings are amazing. Uh, and so that just really, really kind of transformed my whole life in terms of education and growth. And and then so you know you were there for two to three years. Presumably that was like your A level type or O levels back in the day. I don't know what they were called. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because in Pakistan they had they usually have something called the matriculation, which is the metric. Um, but I was on another path, which was the Cambridge O levels. Now the problem was that at seventeen is when you do O levels, and nineteen is when you do A levels. That's how it used to be in this country as well. Um, but what happened is that at seventeen I I basically moved back to the UK. Um, and when I moved back alone, um, this is the first kind of time I was living alone uh, with family here, uh, I started working. But I went to the local uh, college and I said, look, I've got no qualifications because they do GCSEs at 17 in Pakistan. And I really want to kind of do GCSEs. And they said, no, we're really sorry. Because you haven't failed your GCSEs, you cannot do your GCSEs. You must go back to school. So I didn't want to go back to school. So anyway, I started going college. I took the BTEC route. I studied business. Uh, Alhamdulillah, I I really breezed through college. I got distinctions in all my years. Um, And then I went to university. Alhamdulillah, uh, I got first at uni. Education became very easy for me after Pakistan because in Pakistan, when I was 15, we were studying things that I was studying here at 21 in university. So Alhamdulillah, Mm. like achievement in terms of an educational sense became very easy for me uh, after Pakistan. But when I first arrived here, you know, I was 17, I had no qualifications, I had nothing. Um, And I started working at 17 part time. So I've been working for over 20 years now, Alhamdulillah. What did you work as? (laughs) So my first job was actually cleaning fridges. So I just needed a bit of income. Uh, uh, so I, I was in the shop, uh, one of my dad's old friends and stuff, and he basically gave me a job. I just used to sit in the back and clean the fridges out and clean his kind of washing machines and stuff like that. I wasn't allowed to speak to any customers or anything, just <laughs> cleaning in the back, you know. It sounds it sounds something familiar in my, my story as well, where I uh, spent some time delivering pizzas and uh i trained i trained as an electrician so um but to gain some experience i I, I was basically just working for about 50 quid a week yeah um just lugging around uh you know build building material and things like that but that really Uh, built you i'm sure right like doing that stuff yeah of course and i think that's kind of you know why i you know wanted i i wanted to ask that because i think that's becomes part of who you are as an individual, the hard stuff that you do, you gain a lot from. Um, so, so Muhammad, you um, you know you started working, you went to univer- uh, you went to university, uh, you finished your university off, and then um, you went and joined Xerox. Yeah, got trained up in their kind of sales department. Yeah, so Xerox was a very interesting thing. I mean, I remember I was sitting outside Wembley Park Station uh, with my dad, and it w- I had no job. Uh, I had just graduated uh, and I was thinking, you know, I wasn't sure what to do. You know, you kind of feel like that sometimes when you go like us, like people like myself who go into like business or finance, you know, we're not really sure. Whereas if you're a dentist or you're a doctor, you, you've got a name. And so when I finished uh, and graduated, I was like, I'm not sure. Should I, should I go and do masters? Because if you don't know what to do, you go and learn more, right? Or should I go and teach? Because those that don't know teach, right? Yeah. And I was like, 
you know what, Dad? If I don't get this job, then I'm going to do a master's. So I, that's what I said before I left the train station for that interview. So anyway, I went to the interview and alhamdulillah, uh, I, I got the job. Now, um, it was it was a huge blessing for me because, you know, this was one of those moments that kind of changed everything for me, alhamdulillah. And I felt like it also helped me in my drive to really love growth and development because normally when you join sales what happens is they give you uh, a script or they'll tell you like go and knock on doors or they'll do this and they'll do that what happened with xerox and xerox are very famous for this in their industry um, they had an amazing training program when it came to sales so they treated sales like a high performance art and so they had this they had outsourced their training to uh, this company they were actually responsible for training athletes and high performance kind of people um, and so they took a very different approach to sales. They started teaching us about the psychology of selling. Like, how do you take someone who's completely unaware? How do you build trust with that person? How do you take them through the sales cycle? Um, and they went us, they took us to the point where we were kind of memorizing, um, you know, the processes, the procedures. Um, and it was just a revolutionary way of thinking about sales and human beings. So that was really helpful, alhamdulillah. Brilliant. And, and how did you do in Xerox? I mean, did you do well? So sales is a very cutthroat uh, kind of thing. Like uh, very often, you know, every month at least there were people uh, leaving. There were people being uh, forced out and stuff. Uh, wow. You know, what I did, alhamdulillah, is that I was very lucky because I kind of worked very hard for three to six months. And I felt like that first impression like pushed me uh, to be seen in a very positive light. So when I first joined, you know, I was, I used to be like, you know, after Fajr, you kind of, you're awake anyway. So I was like the first one in the office. I would spend loads of time. Um, and with sales, if you stick around long enough, like you haven't been fired uh, and you're doing an okay job, eventually you'll end up with something good. Uh, and that's exactly what happened with me. Alhamdulillah. I worked very hard in my first three to six months. I think everyone recognized that I was working very hard. I had a few, uh, good results. Alhamdulillah. Um, and then it actually ended up to the point where I had uh, probably the best account, sales account, in the whole of uh, the company. Now, um, when I first started, the kind of places I was ringing, I was ringing schools, uh, and these schools were not allowed to buy from us. Like, think about that. I'm ringing people who are not allowed to buy from us uh, from, a, from a guidelines perspective. But when I ended up, wow. um, I was dealing with all the central government agencies. So, you know, that's everything from uh, the Prime Minister's Office, Buckingham Palace, uh, Ministry of Justice, Court Service, uh, Met Office, all these kind of big public sector uh, kind of organizations, those were the accounts that I was ultimately uh, responsible for, alhamdulillah. Fantastic. And so um, from Xerox, you, how long did you stay at Xerox? So Xerox, I was there five years, but half of my time was project management because what happened is once I started winning these um, larger contracts, what happened is they're very different. So, for example, one of my projects was, uh, you know, Manchester City Council. Now, what happened with them is they had like uh, 3,000 printers, or, or copiers, right? And you imagine you have to take three thousand out, and you have to put three thousand in, right? And this is mm. like pro probably like you know four or five hundred different locations. So uh, it kind of transformed into a project management role now. It's less about selling day to day, and it was more about kind of uh, organizing. So I basically got prints to trained. I became a full project manager, uh, and then I was basically managing the rollouts uh, for these customers. So that was uh, that was something. I was there Xerox at about five six years. And then you went off to, this is your first introduction to the Muslim space. 
Oh, so my Muslim um, space thing started, uh, actually it started, because what happens in sales, right? Um, and I'm sure you guys are aware of that. Um, sales is a very money-orientated game, right? So everyone's focused on money. Like there's big prizes at the end of the year for whoever wins. There's like Cartier watches and there's big holidays and this and that. And every wow. day you're being like constantly harassed about your numbers. And every week you're like, okay, have you wronged this customer? What's happening with this deal? You've got pipelines, you got this. It's a very different world to the normal nine to five where everyone just kind of, you know, just going with, with the rut. Um, and so because of that, um, I didn't really like that environment because towards the end of university, I kind of started practicing. I felt like there was more to life. Um, and as I started doing the sales, alhamdulillah, it went well, but I just felt like there was more to life. I remember there was this uh, one saleswoman who used to work with me and she, she came to my desk and she just sat there and for half an hour to 40 minutes, all she did was just talk about money and sales and what she was going to do with the money. And I remember, I still remember the moment right now that I'm sitting there and I'm listening. And why is she just going on and on and on? I'm just questioning myself. I'm like, Ya Allah, is this what I was created for? You know? And she's just talking and that's what I'm thinking to myself. And so at that point, like this was a year into Xerox time. I said, look, you know, I have to do something outside of Xerox, which fulfills my purpose more. Um, and so again, this is why I'm saying I'm so lucky, alhamdulillah, that I all started at Xerox because there was a sister that used to work with me and I told her about my dilemma that I look, I want to do something with more purpose. And she said, look, there's this uh, charity that my cousin works for. Um, you should check it out. Um, so I, I went on, uh, it was called Muslim Youth Helpline. It was a telephone counselling service. Um, and I basically looked into it and I thought, wow, this looks quite cool. Um, so I went there, I went for the interview. It was one of the hardest interviews I've ever done. It was like a panel interview. They were asking me very difficult questions about empathy and, you know, who do you blame and stuff like this. Um, and at the end of it, alhamdulillah, I was very lucky. I became one of the counsellors. Uh, and so then I worked at Muslim Youth Helpline uh, as a counsellor. Uh, and I was dealing with things like self-harm, suicide, uh, sexual abuse. These are the kind of uh, things we would deal with often. Uh, it was people oh. calling in. It was over email. And, and this was alongside your day job? Yeah. So this is this is something that I was doing um, outside of Xerox. Um, and this is something that really helped me because, like I said, I was starting to practice more and I needed to get away from my environment. Uh, I'm talking yeah. about friends, family, cousins, all this kind of stuff who I felt were mm. part of like the old way of life. Um, and so I really just immersed myself in the helpline. So usually people will do like one shift a week. I was doing like three, four shifts. I was just trying to spend all my time there and be around those type of people uh, oh. and just, just do that. Um, and it's also a, a bigger thing, Ibrahim, in the sense that, you know, I, I think that I've been very lucky to do something what I call double stacking or triple stacking. Um, and what that means is that um, alongside doing one thing with full focus, I always add on something else with full focus. So um, while I was at Xerox, I was very lucky because most of the time I was fully doing uh, something like, uh, you know, Muslim Youth Helpline. But then at the same time, I was also helping out. Uh, I was teaching Quran to children and I was really trying to fill my time with two, three core activities, but doing them very consistently. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand, you know, get that that really adds um, something because, you know, if you're just doing one thing, you don't get the cross pollination that you can mm. sometimes get from doing a few other things um, and the additional kind of networking effects as well that you get from that. Um, but Mohammed, I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, your entry into the Muslim space um, after MYH. So Muslim Youth Helpline, you worked, you know, you, I'm sure you probably still support them. Yeah. Um, and and then you went full time into AIRA. Uh, it was really interesting to hear um, specifically about how 
um, you know, IERA has grown massively over the last, you know, decade or so. And, you know, what were the kind of growth hacks that they used that, you know, Muslim organizations, but also organizations generally can use, um, you know, and, and learn from their success story? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, so I was, like I said, um, after Muslim Youth Helpline, uh, the, the thing I helped to start at that point was actually Al-Maghrib Institute. Um, right, so okay. Al-Maghrib was something that was in the US and Canada, but it hadn't touched anywhere else. Um, right. And so I was very lucky. Again, one of the brothers I met at Xerox, you know, he, he basically, uh, he came to me, I said, and he basically said, look, uh, Al-Maghrib is thinking of coming over to the UK. We could be part of the original team that starts this whole thing off. Um, do you want to be involved? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Because before then I was helping with Islam Channel with uh, some of the workshops and the prayer rooms they were doing at GPU and stuff. Um, and so he asked me to be the Amir. And I was like, well, I don't mind doing the project management side of it because I'm a project manager, but I don't want to do the public speaking and stuff. So anyway, yeah. I took on the role and stuff. Um, and alhamdulillah, that was, that was something that really, really helped me to learn about managing volunteers, managing teams, doing marketing, things like that. And what happened is that people heard about my work there um, and that's why I got headhunted for Aira, that they heard the stuff I had done uh, at Al-Maghrib. And then they kind of, Abdurrahim called me in and uh, he was introduced to me. Uh, he introduced uh, <laughs> me through a guy called Steve, again, a Muslim from Xerox. So you can see how everything kind of leads back to Xerox, right? Alhamdulillah. So, Xerox, yeah. Yeah. So he basically told him about me. I went to see Abdurrahim. I remember sitting there with Abdurrahim uh, the first time I met him. And he's basically saying, look, bro, this is the vision for Aira. And I was like, these guys are crazy. Like, they're, they're really crazy. Like, obviously they, they want to fulfill the hadith of Prophet where Islam enters every home. But just to actually, cause my mind, the way it works, it works in a very concrete project management type of way. And I'm, so my mind's starting to think now, how do we get Islam in every home? Um, so I think that's one of the big lessons I would say, uh, from my era is that they were very, very clear on their vision, right? They were clear mm. on their vision. And I think that clarity was there from the start. Right. Um, and everyone there, they believed in the vision. They were clear in the vision. Uh, they knew what it would look like. They knew the kind of things they had to do in terms of like their mission and stuff. So I think this is the first thing I would advise for organizations and, and, and people even individually that get very, very clear on where do you want to go? How are you planning to get there? Right. What is the kind of behavior, the principles that you need to have? What are the values uh, that you need to kind of live by to achieve that vision and so i think vision was one of the biggest things uh, that i had and they had it from the start okay um so that's wow. one big hack the second big thing i would say is um before i went to uh, Ayura, the biggest resource in my mind was money uh and, and this probably links to finance and sales the way i was i was like look the most important thing is money if you have money you can get the people you can get everything you need but after Ayura, my mind uh, switched basically i said you know what it's all about people um, because in, in, in corporate world, they talk about the value of people, but deep down, they don't really yeah. value the people. They value the numbers, right? Mm. Um, but in IERA, it was different. And, and I think this is the second success point for IERA after Vision is that the type of people that IERA brought together, they were amazing people, right? And I'm talking about oh. 
everyone there was amazing. I'm talking about people from Abdul Rahim who were doing the dawah to the brother doing the filming. Like someone like Jamal, uh, Richards, his name is an amazing, amazing guy when it comes to video editing. Um, when it comes to people like uh, Muhammad Sayyid who were the fundraising, we had Hamza Zoltsis, obviously, who was doing a lot of the speaking. Um, even the graphic designers like Abra Hadri, he's, he's like an amazing designer. I'm saying every single person that was there believed in the vision. Every one of them was doing their work with Ihsan. Like, they were amazing at their work. They had, like, it wasn't necessarily that everyone had mastered their craft, but everyone was so passionate about their craft. And I'll give you an example of this, right, is that someone like Jamal. So Jamal is like, uh, you know, audio, video. So there's times when I'm recording with Jamal, and I'm fed up of recording now, and he's working, and because he loves his craft so much, he's like, bro, let's do one more shot here, let's do one more shot there. So rather than being that guy who's like, oh yeah, I- I'm done, I'm tired, let me go, like pure leadership, we're just they're just hungry to do the work and to do an outstanding job, you know. And I think bringing those so, type of people together was just outstanding. Incredible. And so, Muhammad, how do you how do you find those kind of people? How do you recruit those kind of people? Um, because presumably people like Jamal and, you know, Hamza and others don't grow on trees, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, I think this is where finance comes in. Finance is very important for stabilizing those people because someone like myself, I think it would have been very difficult for me to uh, take on IR as a voluntary thing, right? And I think having yeah. that focus really changed all of us. So the first thing I would say is that whenever we're recruiting people now, we do it differently. Um, everyone looks at abilities. We put abilities as a secondary thing. What we do is we actually look at values first, right? That the people that we're intending to hire, do they share the values that we hold, right? So as an example, one of the values in my company mm. is think we over me, right? Meaning that in everyday situations, we should be thinking about the benefit of the collective rather than the benefit of the individual, right? So mm. you imagine now if we all think we over me and we hire someone who thinks me over we, right? That's a disaster, but it's a worse disaster because we're all give, 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 give. And that guy's just take, 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 right? And then when you get two people like yeah. that or three people or four people, then what happens is that the culture of the whole organization changes. And so I think at IERA, like the culture was amazing. That was one of the benefits of the people. So I would say that the values, like look at the values that you hold. What are the values you need to hold to achieve your vision? And then those values are the things that you should be considering people upon. That does this person like... Like I said, this this whole thing about mastery, everyone in Ayera had that thing where they took a hold of their their craft, they were doing it to an excellent level, they were responsible. Like I saw Jamal and even the, these volunteers, bro, like imagine after a conference, 12, 1 o'clock, right? You then drive back to the warehouse or to the office, you then unload two vans and you're a volunteer. You know, what kind of mindset does it take to do that? It's the values that drive you. It's the belief in the vision. So I think one is is the values. The other thing, obviously, like, you know, asking around, finding out. And then definitely I would look at the unique abilities that you can look at people's work. Um, and, and really, I would advise people not to do uh, theory-based questioning. So, you know, theory-based question is like, you know, what would you do in this situation? What would you do? More I would mm. do the thing about, like, tell me about... What did you do at Xerox? What did you do at Muslim Youth Helpline? How did you deal with this? How do you? And the truth is, yeah. anyone who's an expert, they'll be able to just roll off examples because they've done it so long and they know it so well. You know. Mm. No, that makes that makes sense. Um, and so, um, uh, Muhammad, before we, um, you know, go further in your journey, and uh, you know, there's some uh, incredible successes that you've had, um, you know, in your recent businesses. Um, 
I, I wanted to understand, um, out of curiosity, what was it that you were doing at Al Maghrib that caught Abdurrahim's uh, attention? And you know, presumably, you know, you were really growing Al Maghrib. Uh, and I remember in the early days of Al Maghrib, there was a lot of growth that happened. So, what was it that you did there that enabled that organization to really grow? I think, uh, Alhamdulillah, again, you know, anyone that's achieved anything, uh, if they're honest, they'll tell you that they achieved it because of amazing people uh, around them. Uh, and it was very easy for me as the Amir. I'm very lucky. You know, I'm standing in the limelight. I'm on the stage. But the truth is, like, having a great Amir or having a great team, um, you know, these are the things that get you the achievement. And I think what happened at Al-Maghrib is that Al-Maghrib came out of nowhere. Like, obviously, it was in the U.S. and North America, but in the U.K., it just came out of nowhere, right? Uh, and it and yeah. kind of, like, really spread like wildfire. And I think that what Abdul Rahim and other people saw is that I was doing voluntary work. I was able to take a group of unpaid people and put on professional-level uh, seminars and attendances and stuff Uh from everything from marketing uh, to the operations like you you imagine like we we we're, we're handing uh, like one of the biggest ones we did like kind of a record we had like 800 people uh, over 5 days uh, in london wow. right and everyone there was a volunteer like no one is paid to manage that level of event and so the work that goes into managing those people developing those people building in the systems um, to actually make it like we did everything from you know, we started using G Suite when it first came out uh, we started having our own intranet and you know we held all the documents we had all the processes um, the way I was doing things was using project management staff using checklists um, and just building a very very uh, like process orientated structure which enabled people who who were wow. new maybe they had never done anything and they were volunteers but for them to do things with excellence that you know that sounds like you know it would require i mean how many volunteers did that take yeah so it was quite crazy actually because um you know at the start bro this this is how it works this is how life works and you know this as well is that when i first started i had no one i had like us there than two three other guys so what i did is what you do is i've got a massive family in the uk so i basically pulled in my cousins and i said look there's this thing called al maghrib right i know you haven't heard of it but basically on friday night i need you to be here and you need to pay for it as well and they were like, what, what is this? But because I was older than them and their parents really trusted me and it was Islamic, they were like, yeah, take them, do what you want. And so because I was dealing with my own cousins, I was very raw. Like I was like, do this, do that. And, you know, yeah. so they, my family, Alhamdulillah, they played a big part in helping Al-Maghrib to start, you know. Um, and then from okay. there, as we started to get better people and more experienced people and corporate people, you know, they brought their own experience. There was a guy called Zubair, a very good friend of mine. He's the one that introduced us to the technology. He introduced us to G Suite and Gmail and all of this stuff when it was first coming out. Um, so having all these people around us, they helped to build it. And we had like, at one time at our height, when we had the 800, 900 seminar, I think we had like 20, 25 people. Wow. And, and, and presumably it was just snowballed, right? So you, you, people would attend these seminars and, uh, these events and then they'd want to volunteer and, uh, you know, just things would spiral after a while, um, and, and until you kind of got to that kind of size that Al Maghrib are now. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a very good point that you've picked up on is that uh, there was a good cycle, 
right? So, for example, there's one brother who came to the first ever course, right? Um, and he later told me this story. He said to me, he said, when I first came to that course, it was it was called Breach of Covenant. It was uh, Tafsir of Surah Bakra by Sheikh Muhammad Sharif. And he basically said that when I came to that se- uh, seminar, he said, the first day I went home, he said, I just cried and I cried and I cried. And he said, it was like I was connected to the Quran for the first ever time, right? So I was like, that's so amazing, right? So what he did then is he started bringing his whole family, right? So you would see him literally, wow. he would have like 10, 15 people around him. He would have his sisters and their, their husbands and their kids and this. And we used to call them Banu Ali, right? Because they were like a whole <laughs> family that would come, right? Um, but what was amazing about this is that those, that, those members of the family, they then joined Al-Maghrib to help out, right? Um, and he later became one of the Amirs of London, of Al-Maghrib. Wow. So you see the whole cycle of, of how you can actually benefit from something and then you want to be a part of it and then you want to give back to it. No, that makes complete sense. And so, uh, Muhammad, I'm just aware of the time as well. And I want to get on to you know, talking about these some of these amazing successes that you've had. So, you know, just to pick out a few of these, um, you know, you grew your Facebook page to over a hundred thousand, um, you know, YouTube, you're now over 30,000 in terms of subscribers. Um, you know, why don't we start with those first and then we can get into some of the other ones. So, you know, what, what how did you do this? What was this, what was this about? Um, and you know, how did you grow? So, um, I have an organization called Muslim Mastery, uh, which I started. Um, and this is all about growth again, but it's more for individuals. It's more for Muslims. Um, and so for us, it's all about focusing on the mindset because we believe that, you know, the actions and uh, the destiny that we have is based on our habits and the habits are based on the way that we think about things. Um, so Muslim mastery is all about, uh, really working on the mindset of Muslims and the mindset of how we see Islam and the benefit of Islam and stuff like that. And so what we did is we basically started by doing whiteboard animation videos. Um, and we made them very short, very kind of sharp to the point, high impact kind of videos. Um, and we just, one of the biggest hacks for us for this was really consistency. Um, I, I saw that in the non-Muslim world, whiteboard animations were doing quite well. Um, and I thought, you know what, this is something that we should definitely do for Muslims, short bite-sized content, which will make them feel closer to Allah. Um, and yeah. that's what we started doing. We just started uh, producing it. Alhamdulillah, we have an amazing uh, volunteer, uh, Sister Uzma, who basically started working on this. She started producing a lot of it. At, at the start, I was paying for them to be produced, but it was quite expensive. And then we got a volunteer. And we just basically took some of the classic classical works, people like Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, and uh, we just kind of translated them or brought them to the forefront in short, sharp kind of videos. Um, and all our thing was was be consistent, keep them short, keep them high impact. Uh, and we were just very consistent. We released every single Friday. We were very, very strict about releasing every single week. Um, and then we just saw, like, you know, it started going viral. Some of the videos had millions of views. Um, <laughs> there's a famous guy called French Montana. Um, I never heard of him actually until uh, I found out that uh, one of my cousins called me up and he said, oh, you're famous, bro. And I'm like, why? He's like, French Montana's like shared your video. And I was like, who who on earth is French Montana? I, I don't know what that <laughs> is, right? Uh, and then I started looking into it. And basically what happened is French Montana, uh, for those of you that don't know, he's like a very famous mainstream artist. Uh, and he's right, Muslim. Okay. And he basically has like, I don't know, 30, 40 million uh, kind of followers. He's very well known in the in, in America and the music world. Uh, and during Ramadan, he shared one of our posts called uh, 17 Types of Sadaqah. Um, and he shared wow. that on his page. 
and you know it was it was amazing because someone who uh, is Muslim, you know, who's in the mainstream, is sharing that you know with non-Muslims like as well as Muslims. Um, so that was really really massive uh, impact, amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was massive massive impact, and 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 that's what it's about. Like the content is very generic. It's not uh, sectarian based. It doesn't go into deep fiqh or anything, but it makes you feel good about Islam. It makes you feel close to Allah, uh, and that was the real intention. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And and what's the kind of uh, what was the story behind the Facebook side of things? So Facebook was, uh, you know, it was a very viral kind of platform. Uh, you know, it, in the early days, we just started uh, course, yeah. sharing, sharing on that. It was very organic. Uh, I think, you know, our our tagline is empowering our ummah. Um, and I think that people generally, Muslims, even if they're non-practicing, you know, they really do love Islam. They love the Prophet ﷺ. They love the Ummah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think having that kind of, uh, that mindset where it's all about uh, the Ummah and developing the Ummah, people, I think they caught on to it. I think that they really loved the videos. They felt like the videos kind of um, helped them on a very, very different level. Um, and so, like I said, we just, we just, we just released and what we found is that some videos did very, very well and then we added more. And this is like a strategy that people can use that you, you share content on, on, uh, social media very regularly and you use the same amount and the same time and the same money. So for example, I'll give you the example of Muslim Mastery is we would release the video every Friday night at a certain time, 9 PM. Even to this day, we do that. And then we would spend a certain amount of budget. So let's say two, three pound a day for three or four days. Right. And then mm. we would actually measure every single element. So we've done hundreds of videos and I have a spreadsheet where, uh, you know, Sister Uzma, she basically notes down the exact reach that we've got, organic and paid reach, the likes, the shares, the comments, clicks, everything we write for every single video. Right. Wow. And we basically measure everything. And when we're measuring, then we're like, oh, my God, look, this one had triple the reach of our normal reach. Right. Put more money behind it. Right. So now that mm. you let the you let the basically the audience decide what's good, what's viral. And then when you see that hint of it, that look, this is perform much better than the other videos or standard kind of rate that we have put money in and then you put money behind it. And now, you know, your money's being well spent as opposed to being wasted. Right. And that's when yeah. you see the videos kind of getting to that level where now you're spending one pound, but instead of it going to a hundred people, it's going to a thousand people with every pound you spend. And so there's videos mm. that we've spent like, you know, eight, nine pound of promotion in total. And they've, they've hit over a million just by that wow. eight, nine pounds because of the virality on it. That's incredible. And so, sorry, this Facebook page is, uh, this is Muslim Mastery as well. Yeah, this is Muslim Mastery. So if you just type in facebook.com slash Muslim Mastery, you'll see the page. We've got about 116,000 people following us now, uh, 100,000 likes and stuff. So, yeah. Fantastic. And and the videos that you share, they're, they're the same videos that you have on your YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah exactly so you the share same them videos. Yeah. And, and now we're going to kind of move towards doing more deeper content. So what we want to do is we want to like show the short, sharp videos, but we want people to get into that deeper development. But you've got to sell people on that, right? Because we live in this world now where me and you even will like get a WhatsApp video. We'll see the length of how long it is. And then we'll be like, oh yeah, I'm not watching that right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So we need yeah, to get yeah. people to buy into why they should watch the longer stuff. But it starts with giving them short, high impact things first. Okay, great. And, and Muhammad, so I've not, um, really looked into Muslim mastery, um, but what's the? Is it is it like a course based um, web, web service? I mean, how do you guys monetize it? I mean, are you monetizing it? Do you want? Is it or is this the kind of um, 
you know, you're kind of giving back to the community sort of thing? Or, or, or what is it exactly? Yeah, so this is a, another great question because one of the things I found working with Muslim organizations now, and we help them to grow and we help them to kind of uh, set their foundations, a lot of times what happens is Muslim organizations are not thinking about their economic engine. Right? They're not thinking mm. about how are we actually going to survive. Uh, and this is the most important thing, because if you don't have money and you don't have finances, it's very difficult for you to grow. And this was one of the secrets of Al-Maghrib, actually, that they had a very good economic engine. People were like, oh, my God, this is an expensive price. Da, 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 da. But it's because they didn't see the vision. The price and the profitability in there enabled them to grow to like 40, 50 cities across the world. Right. So mm. building that economic engine is very, very important. So with Muslim Mastery, we, we're completely like aware that we need to build that thing. But the way we decided to do it was very different to how most people do it. So let's assume today, like you fall in love with finance or you fall in love with something. Some people will go out there and they'll be like, OK, I'm going to do a course on finance. Hey, guys, buy my course on finance. OK. Um, but we said we're going to do it very differently. Right. We, we took someone like uh, Nomani Khan's model. Right, so Bayonet Institute, they're huge. They've got, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. They make uh, a lot of money, uh, you know, for the work that they do now. But if you think about Norman Ali Khan or someone like that, your first kind of vision of someone like that is probably him with a Quran in his hand sitting in a masjid talking about Arabic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So someone like that, the first view or first memory is about him giving value to the community for free. Um, and mm. that's what we did with Muslim Mastery. Like all the kind of hundreds of videos we produced, there was never an ask from the audience. And Sheikh Abdul Salam is someone I was speaking to. He saw the videos. He was like, look, the video was so amazing. I saw it. I was in love with it. And I was expecting you to say, buy this or attend this course or do this. And, and there was nothing at the end of it. And he said, that made me like it more because it wasn't like you were just doing it for something, like you're actually giving value. So for us, Muslim Mastery was all about like, go out, give years of value for free to the Ummah without asking for anything, right? Um, now we're in this mode where we're actually saying, right, now that we've done that, now it's about getting people into deeper development. So there's going to be different levels of courses. We've already got one course called The Best Version of You, which is around mindset, building uh, the mindset for happiness and freedom. Um, and that's going to be the first level. And then we, we're going to have deeper kind of things. We're going to have coaching. We're going to have loads of different elements to developing uh, the mindset, developing leaders, both male and female leaders, obviously, uh, to kind of go forward and, and have high achievement, inshallah. Fantastic. Uh, well, I look forward to that. And, you know, inshallah, you know, once that launches, then do, do let us know. We can maybe, you know, share it on our networks as well. Definitely. Um, so, Muhammad, uh, you know, I, I think it might make sense at some point, inshallah, in the next, you know, uh, coming podcast to um, uh, carry on our conversation because I think there's, so, uh, lots of interesting things that you know we can learn as you guys grow as well. Sure. Um, but Jazakallah Khair for your time uh, today. I think it's been really interesting, really beneficial. Um, are there any kind of last, uh, you know, lessons or tips that you want to leave our audience with in terms of, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and growth, uh, but also just life generally? Yeah, Jazakallah Khair. It's been it's been great um, speaking to you and being here. I think. Um, for me, what, what I would say to people is that it's very, very important that you kind of get clear, like I said, on the vision of what you want to achieve. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from business uh, is that of focus, right? I feel that 
Al-Maghrib, Ayyira, Muslim, Youth Helpline, whatever I've achieved, Alhamdulillah, it's because I was like fully bought in uh, and I fully gave myself to it. So I think focus is extremely important, even in business. Yeah. I think focus yeah. is very, very important. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that the other big business lesson I've learned, which has really helped me, I think is really understanding that you shouldn't be doing things that... Um, you know, that you think are a great idea, you should be going out there and assessing what are the problems that you can solve. Because for me, business yeah. is all about uh, adding value. And the way you add value is by solving problems, right? Mm. So really what we need to do uh, as entrepreneurs is we need to go out there, we need to think about the kind of people that we want to serve, we need to go and find out what are the real problems that they have, and then we need to work on solutions for those problems. And if you do that, um, you'll find that the market demand and the market needs and all these kind of things are always there, uh, and you'll always do very, very well. And then the last thing I would say is that of mastery, that realize that you know nowadays we're in a situation where uh, everything is about sales and marketing. Right, You can go and produce and partner and you can buy from China, but if you don't know how to do marketing, you don't know how to brand and you don't know how to sell, then you're at a disadvantage. So make the shift in your mindset to actually master this thing because it's a core competency that everyone should hold internally in their organizations rather than outsourcing to expensive agencies. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Jazakallah khair, Muhammad. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, inshallah, we'll see you um, in another podcast soon. Inshallah, Zakhla Khair, bro. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.